This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. What the Bible calls his heavenly host that praises him and that appears with shining glory. And every time there's a vision of angels, there's splendor. And these things are recorded for us so that we might be in awe of God's exalted handiwork. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by James Dalzell. James, how are you today? Great. I'm here with the holy angels. We are going to discuss between the two of us the doctrine of angels. It's often neglected in our circles. There are some people, of course, who obsess about angels, but for the most part, I would say in many of our circles, this is a doctrine that is underemphasized. So why should we study and discuss and even meditate on angels, James? I think that's a question that a lot of us have, maybe especially in the Reformed tradition, um, where I'll, I'll confess, maybe you had this experience in seminary as well, that I had um, relatively little time focusing on a biblical angelology, probably a little more time focusing on demonology or Satanology because of matters of spiritual warfare and of the occult. Um, but there's the question of, other than the relatively few verses of Scripture that talk about the holy angels, what benefit is there? I, I should say this. I think sometimes we tend to not ask that question because we are maybe inclined, some of us, uh, to overreact to what I call angel mania or demon mania. And so in order not to sort of get drawn into some of the excesses or absurdities of that obsession, we tend to maybe say less than what the Bible says about angels and their importance. When Scripture does speak about the angels, it speaks about them, uh, the holy angels, it speaks about them in very exalted terms, terms that should command not our adoration or our worship, and in fact, several times in Scripture you have holy angels rebuking good men for mistakenly worshiping them. And I'll say something more about that in a moment. But when the angels are described to us, it is in these um, superlative and quite literally otherworldly terms. You think of Isaiah's vision uh, in Isaiah 6-3, where he sees, the, he sees the Lord seated on his throne and the train of his robe filling the temple. And there are these six-winged seraphs that he sees in the vision crying antiphonally, holy, holy, holy. I would say the first reason that we should study and contemplate the angels is that they're among the most glorious and exalted of God's creatures. Uh, and if creation, if the heavens are telling forth his glory, certainly that refers to the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. Um, but for us who have special revelation of angels, that must also include this, what the Bible calls his heavenly host that praises him and that appears with shining glory. And every time there's a vision of angels, there's splendor. And these things are recorded for us so that we might be in awe of God's exalted handiwork. If I can jump in there, and that's that's true, of course, and the Bible does say that, but while it says they are glorious, and while it tells us that they are an evidence of God's creative power, we don't see many visions of them in the scriptures, and certainly unlike the sun, moon, and stars, they're not things that we are visibly presented with today. Right. And to that end, and even today, if if we should be presented with an angel, the likelihood is that we would not know it. 
um, right. you know, visited by angels unawares. Right. Um, although I think that that text is referring pr probably to the visit of the two angels together with Yahweh in theophanic form when he visited um, Abraham and Sarah. No, but, but the point still stands, which is that you're right. If we were to encounter them today, it would likely not be in that glorious form that would evoke this kind of response in us. Sometimes you have angels that provoke fear and awe when they appear to characters in Scripture. Uh, certainly that's the case when the heavenly host appears to the shepherds in the field. It's certainly that way when Gabriel appears to Zechariah and also to Mary. Um, it's certainly that way when the angelic tour guide sort of leads John through his apocalyptic vision. Uh, but then you can think of other instances, particularly I'm thinking of those two that appear to Abraham and Sarah and then to Lot and his family, um, which appear to them as mere men. And so you're right. E even when there is an angelophany or an appearing of angels, um, it's not always of the same sort and it's not always awe-inspiring. And sometimes it's it's veiling the glory, the created glory uh, of this creature. And, and, and even when it is awe-inspiring, as in the cases you mentioned, it's reported that it was awe-inspiring, but the description is not such that it elicits our awe as as readers. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to sort of sync up with the biblical writers that are in awe of angels, you're not you're not seeing what they saw. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm reading in Scripture a report of what they saw. And I am I, I, I would say this, though, I am anticipating I am anticipating a day when I perceive the glory of angels in a way that I don't currently. And I'm thinking of particularly Hebrews 12, where the writer to the Hebrews uh, says that we have been, he's describing all the things to which we've been called as saints, and we've been called to, a, to be part of a company with the holy angels. Part of the glory of our salvation is, an, is a newfound, if I can put it this way, um, camaraderie, so to speak, with the angels. And I'm thinking here particularly of our camaraderie in worship, um, that we we have a we sing a song in church sometimes that has a line: "Angels help us to adore Him, ye behold Him face to face." Um, and it's interesting. I've I've read that I've read that hymn a number of times, and I'm I'm convinced that we're actually in our worship exhorting the angels to continue doing what they always do as we seek here on earth uh, to do the same. And I think, I think that even, even when uh, the psalmist says uh, that he has made man a little lower than the angels, and then the writer to the Hebrews picks up on that language, that we are to, we are to have perhaps not a veneration, but at least a, a high regard of the status of these other really great and amazing creatures of God. All right, so we're supposed to think about them. We're supposed to, at, at some level, be in awe of them as created beings and as evidence of God's creative power. What is it about the study of angels? In other words, as we study angels in the scriptures, what, what do we learn about creation? What do we learn about um, God's creative power and purposes? What are the things that that presses us towards? Well, I think, I think what angels do uh, that's uniquely exemplary 
and also if you want to if you want to be more anthropomorphic about it even the way that um, the heavens are described in psalm 19 that the heavens are telling the glory of god day to day pours forth speech night to night reveals knowledge and we can certainly say that the visible handiwork of the cosmos praises the lord but we also have repeated testimony in scripture that the holy angels are an unfaltering exemplary society of worshipers of the almighty and i think that there's something there that that we are to intentionally sync up with um and i'm thinking here particularly of maybe a way of taking matthew 6 10 where jesus instructs us in the lord's prayer to pray this way your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we could ask the question, who is who is doing the will of God in heaven? And I would say certainly the souls of the righteous departed. Um, but I think we should add to that that also those that are doing the will of God in heaven are the holy angels. And I'm saying that on the basis of a number of texts, especially in the Psalms that describe the angels exactly this way as a as a company of those who do God's will. Here are a couple, um, here are a couple texts. Psalm 111:1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Um, arguably, the company of the upright includes the souls of righteous men and women, but also of unfallen angels who praise his name. Another one, Psalm 89, two different places, verse 5. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. Uh, and I think here, this the heavens isn't here just referring to the created orbs that we see in the night sky um, or the those balls of gas that illumine the night sky, but he's referring particularly to heavenly, intelligent, and volitional beings. The two verses later, Psalm 89, 7 says, that God is a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all those who surround him, um, the holy ones uh, around his throne, sometimes even called Elohim or gods, uh, small g gods, are described in these exalted terms as heavenly or celestial worshipers of God. I'll give you one more if I can throw one more psalm in there. Psalm 103, 20 and 21 Bless the Lord, you his angels, who ex and then and then it describes the angels this way, who excel in strength. And I'm going to say something more about this in a second. That angels, you know, man was made a little lower than the angels. Well, what what is the glory of angels? They excel in strength, and then it says this about them, and they use their strength for good. It says, Who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you, his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. And then when Jesus instructs us later, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The doers of God's will in heaven par excellence are undoubtedly the holy angels. So I would say one, one reason to study the biblical revelation of angels um, is to see a good example of what holy creatures of God, unfallen ones, do in the service and praise of his name. So they're one of the primary functions of studying them or, or results of studying them is to see this example of giving their all, giving their strength to the worship and service of God. 
Yeah, and I think that that's presupposed in in the prayer that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we're actually praying that that we, the earthly society of holy ones, would would show or imitate in our own worship uh, something of what is going on in that celestial congregation of glorified saints and holy angels. I think many times when when we think about the biblical doctrine of angels, we do think about it in terms of what's often called spiritual warfare, or, you know, the Apostle Paul tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so that dimension of angelic activity is often our focal point. You're saying maybe we should start with a, a slightly bigger idea in the scriptures, which is the fact that angels are worshiping and serving God fully. So what about spiritual warfare, though, and what do we need to understand about angels in order to understand this reality that we we wrestle not against flesh and blood? Okay, that's a good question. I'll start with uh, the place of the holy angels in this, because while we are engaged in spiritual warfare against fallen angels, we are not the only ones who are contending with fallen angels. I'm thinking here particularly of Revelation 12, where it says that Michael and the holy angels waged war against the dragon and those angels who fell with him, so that the location of spiritual warfare seems to have layers, so to speak, of uh, reality, where there is a spiritual warfare of Michael and the holy angels engaged in battle in in defense of the honor of God's glory and name against those defiled and fallen angels. So I think the first thing we should say, I think we often, when we come to spiritual warfare, we think in terms of ourselves as humans engaged in battle with fallen angels. And we think of the resources, the arsenal, so to speak. Uh, And Paul tells us to take the sword of the spirit and to deck ourselves in all of this defensive and offensive equipment for warfare. Um, But I think one thing that we need to put into that mix of assets that we have in spiritual warfare is the work of the holy angels on our behalf, because we have described them as worshipers of God. Jesus says that the angels of the little ones behold the face of God in heaven. These angels that enjoy a kind of celestial beatitude Um, are not non-cognizant of our plight down here on earth, so heavenly-minded as to be of no earthly good, because while they serve God in heaven and while the holy angels do his will, they also do his will in service to God that works out on our behalf. And I'm thinking especially here of Hebrews 1.14 that says about the holy angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out, and the idea is sent out by God, to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So that currently the holy angels are at work serving God for the good and for the benefit of God's elect. So think about it like this. Um, the ultimate a spiritual warfare between the holy angels and the fallen angels, in so much as we ourselves have a, a part in that warfare against the fallen angels, we join arms with holy angels who contend against fallen angels and who contend against fallen angels as they 
minister for God on our behalf and for our good. Um, and I think in this respect, one reason to study, why get to know the nature of angels? And when it says that they are exalted in strength, why should we contemplate the exalted strength of holy angels? Because that, even though it's a created strength, that created though exalted strength is put into our service and on our behalf by God. And I think it's it's just sort of familiarizing ourselves with our assets in spiritual warfare, and we don't want to neglect the asset of holy angels serving God for our good as we contend against forces of darkness, even in heavenly places. I think that's a good note to end on. I mean, what we didn't get into, and perhaps we'll have to save this for another conversation, is that the nature of angels, their ministering spirits, Hebrews tells us. Um, and so some of those aspects uh, need to be explored probably further. And then also uh, we've talked about holy angels, but also uh, fallen angels. So we don't have time for it all. Unfortunately, that's the problem. It's just, uh, well, let's, it's just well, let's say, let's just make this a first foray into angelology and we can follow this up in a future. I think what we should do in future is perhaps talk about based upon the narratival description of angels, um, what they're like and what they do, what can we rightly and reasonably infer about their nature and their power? How can we sort of build out an, 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 a theology of angelic nature? And then you're right, we should follow up with a talk about um, how that remarkable power and strength is placed into the service of evil and darkness in the case of the fallen angels. Um, because I think that we, if we understand the power of angels, it'll give us a, not a paralyzing fear, but it'll give us a, a healthy assessment of exactly what type of enemies we're contending with when we talk about fallen angels. So to be continued, but it's a, it's a good first step, James. It's always good to talk with you and listeners. We're always grateful for you as well. Thanks for listening today. If you're able to donate. You can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org so that we can continue to have conversations like this and interview guests as well. If you have listened to this and you'd like to find out more, there are some good books out there on this topic. One that we would recommend and that we will give you the opportunity to win is by Frederick Leahy. It's called Satan Cast Out, a study in biblical demonology. So sort of hinting at what we were describing for our next conversation, you can go to placefortruth.org, Theology on the Go link, and there will be a uh, a button for you to press to enter to win that book. But as always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. 